Welcome to the audio podcast for the main service of Northridge Church. Our hope is that this will be a tool that blesses and challenges you in your walk with Jesus. If you want to learn more about Northridge Church, you can visit us at nrchurch.ca or join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Until we meet, be blessed and enjoy the word for today. circumstances, despite what you've been through, all of the ways that we've turned away, that we've rejected God, where we've gotten our pride in the way, where we've been disobedient, where we've chosen one way when God says to go the next, he still has a place for you. He still welcomes you to the table. He holds you so deeply, and he desires so much for you. And I want you to just rest in that, to sit in that this morning to accept that love that Jesus has for you. We're going to continue on in our service this morning. We have a word for you. We're going to continue to respond in worship. But I just encourage you to to release that that pain and that suffering that you've been that you've been really holding on to by not allowing Jesus to come and take hold of your heart. Will you pray with me this morning? Lord God, we just thank you. We thank you that you are such a forgiving God, that you have so much grace for us, that you see our beginning and our end, that you know every step that we will take and you love us the same. I just pray that with open hands that we would accept your love this morning, that we would pour out our praise to you, that we would respond in worship and that we can really sing that we love you so because of the love that you have for us, God. We just pray this in your holy name. Before you grab a seat, would you turn to someone next to you and welcome them this morning? We are so glad that you are here this morning, that you are made it through this rainy day on Super Bowl Sunday to be here at church with us this morning. We're so glad that you're here. Last week, if you weren't able to join us, we had a really awesome service that was uh, where we got to celebrate some baptisms. And if you weren't here in you feel like you missed out and you want to check that out online, we encourage you to do so. You can check it out on our Facebook page and go back and watch. And it was really evident that the Spirit of God was in the room. So I encourage you to check that out. Um, It got me thinking about baptisms. um, And I I had heard an illustration several years back that really stuck with me. And I wanted to share it with you this morning. And it has to do with giving because we are going to prepare to give our tithes and offerings in a moment. And it was this illustration that talked about back in the Middle Ages, there were the, the, when the churches or priests would go to a battle or go to war, they would often hire or they would have a, a soldier or a mercenary fight their battles for them. But it was really important in the tradition of these Middle Age churches to have these soldiers baptized. So, uh, yeah, a little backwards than maybe what we had learned about baptism last week, but this was kind of the way that things were done. And so they would have these soldiers 
uh, baptized, but while they were being baptized, they would hold their swords out of the water. So essentially, the entire their body and their spirit, as they would say, would be baptized. However, the soldiers wanted to make sure that they were still in control of their weapons, so their swords would not be baptized. And I had heard the illustration a while back that this is very similar to how we can be in our faith, especially when it comes to what we're giving to the Lord. That oftentimes we want to be entrenched in the spirit. We're baptized in the name of God. We want to pursue him, but we're still holding on to our wallets or our ties or our, our money and saying, okay, God, I, I want to give you my whole heart. I, I want you to have all of me, but I, I don't think I want to give you control of my finances. I think that's something I still want to take into my own hands. And I think it could be something where we feel fear or we are worried that it, we, we're, we're a little worried that, about what God might want to do with that. And we're feeling like a little bit, if we, at least if we have security over our, our ties, then, then we know things are going to be taken care of. Um, but when we decide and we choose to follow God, just as uh, Katie and Bennett were baptized last week, they were making a decision to pursue God with their whole hearts, their whole minds, their whole bodies. There are things we have to give up. And that includes our, our finances. We have to say, okay, God, I also trust you with this. It's not just one way or the other. We're not picking and choosing what we're controlling, but really fully, wholly offering all that we have to God. And so we're going to take uh, a time of tithes and offerings. I'm going to invite our ushers to prepare for that. And we're going to pray. And I just encourage you, if that's something that maybe you've been struggling with, where you go, God, I really want you. I really am trying to pursue you. But this is something that I have a grip on. I just pray that you would be in encouraged and, and that you would feel that God has control over this area of your life, too. And he wants to use this and bless you in, in abundant ways. And so let's pray over this this morning. God, we just, we thank you, um, and we thank you that you give us everything that we need. Um, though at times it, we feel like we are um, maybe at a loss with what to do with our finances, and, and that feels like it has a strong grip on our hearts, and we want to take control, I just pray that you would release us from that, the grip that money can have on us, and that we would just offer that up to you, um, knowing that you have plans for our lives, and that you want to uh, walk with us in every way uh, in our in our finances and our lives and our decisions that we're making in our day-to-day. -day. I just pray that we would offer that all to you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, as we, as the baskets are being passed around, I have a couple of announcements for you. The first being, I know you've heard this like every week in 2024, but we do have an AGM coming up. And so that will be happening on March 3rd. Um, there will be childcare provided afterwards as well as lunch. So you don't have to worry about those two things. We have passed the date where if you have yet to become members, um, you do need a month before the AGM in order for your votes and everything to go through and be um, real. I don't know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, counted. And so we are, um, you're still welcome to sign up for membership if you would like. It's on the website. And you are still welcome to attend the AGM even if you're not a member, if you just kind of want to see inside the walls of what makes up Northridge. Um, on that same note, next Sunday, there will be an AGM package that goes out. And this is to encourage our members to review, to look over, and come with any questions that you might have. However, if you know that you have signed up as a member and you have not received that email next Sunday, that means we likely have the wrong email. And so we want to encourage you, if that happens, before the AGM to email info at nrchurch.ca and that will set you up so that you can be sure to get all of the information that you need. With that, I am going to say goodbye to our grade five to 12s. You can head out the door and we are going to welcome up David with our new sermon series. Thank you, Alex. I don't, I don't know what I'm more impressed with. So I know the announcements that she was reciting from. I wrote them. And she memorized them. Like, and she got it all right. It's like, she didn't write February 23rd for the night of prayer. She did, but uh, like I do when I make announcements. So anyways, good job. I don't know if I'm more impressed with that or with the baptism illustration. I'm definitely stealing that. And I will probably forget to give you credit. So um, thank you for that word too. That was outstanding. That's, that's convicting. That's a good job. All right. Um, as 
Alex alluded to, we're starting a brand new sermon series. And uh, first and foremost, how about this sermon series art? Uh, quite proud of it. That's my nephew right front and center there, but these are all people from Northridge. I, I am already regretting having Declan as the um, figurehead of this sermon series because he is inappropriately dressed in San Francisco 49ers gear today. <laughs> and so, like, um, it's this is a, just a, this sin's a real thing. And uh, his dad's to blame. He's wearing his gear over there. Actually, I was going to wear my Seahawks jersey this morning. In fact, I was getting ready, and Carolee looked at me like, what, what's going on? Like, what? you're really casual. And I was looking for my jersey. I couldn't find it. And so I don't know if it was God telling me just to not wear a jersey in, 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 in the in, – I'm just kidding. <laughs> but anyways, um, and, uh, and so, I, yeah, so – we're, we're pre I was actually going to have, um, today we're teaching on uh, the first value, and I was going to do this fake slide, is that we value the Seahawks, and because of that, anybody in our division, we can't stand, And so, but I'm not going to do that. All right, you, you probably did, I love how Alex said this, you probably feel like we're really hammering this AGM announcement over and over again, but honestly, we're just getting started, because now we're actually in the month before the AGM, so it's probably going to keep coming and uh, badgering you. We put a lot of time and effort into making this accessible, even convenient, but also important. So we really hope that you can prioritize being there. Uh, honestly, traditionally, Northridges are uh, a little bit apathetic about meetings, and that may have been modeled by your pastor. And so we all need to do a little bit of growing up, and uh, we're excited about what can be. Uh, but not only is your your presence a key part of meeting quorum. We talk about that a lot, that we need you in order to meet quorum. Um, but it's more than that. It's about having skin in the game and knowing more about the nuts and bolts of what we are, who we are, and how we steward our resources. And we're very proud of the way we steward our resources. And this is going to be an opportunity to look back at 2023 and celebrate the things that have happened, but then also forecast and look ahead together at how we plan on doing things in 2024. Okay, on to the message. Today, as uh, Alex already said, we begin our very short, just four-week series on Northridge values. Uh, did you know that we have four value statements as a church? We do, and we're going to share through them over the next four weeks. So today, we're going to look at the first of the four values. They're not necessarily prioritized, but this is the first one. We value God's word for us okay this is a value we've, we've boiled down to four this is one of our four values that we value god's word for us let's take a quick look at kind of an overall description that's the next slide here it says this we have a high regard for the variety of ways that god shares his word with us we value his written word and we gather around it with intention we value his spoken word believing that he still wants to communicate with us and we value his prophetic word using people to guide and help us. So in this statement, we've identified three ways. It's kind of two ways, but I've elaborated on the second one. We, we value his written word, his spoken word, and his prophetic word. So let's first look at God's written word. We value God's written word. And hopefully today you're going to notice the irony of, uh, of this value and this statement in that normally what you'll find on the slides is just scripture. Okay, we, we, we like to teach through line by line through entire books of the Bible. And so ironically, this sermon series, this next four weeks, it's going to be a topical sermon series. And so today's topic, we're talking about how much we love God's written word, but we're going to have a lot less scripture on the screen today than we normally do. So it's a little ironic, um, but uh, we're going to do this nonetheless. Let's begin with a short scripture that many of you will remember from we college uh, and i kind of want to do a quick survey how many of you are this is quite something how many of you are a product of you are a former or you are a graduate of we college put your hand up oh one two three that's it okay and there yeah a lot of them are serving and and in the back okay now next question how many of you are a parent of a student who uh has gone through we college Okay, a couple more. And how many of you are either a parent, a student, or a former teacher of We College? Put your hand up. Okay, quite a few of us. Um, we College kind of has its fingerprints on us, and you will recognize this scripture from 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
it says this in verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Northridge Church believes that every single word given to us in the original Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek was inspired by the Holy Spirit. That these gospel authors who put, not pen to paper, but who, who put scripture into writing were inspired, were motivated, were, were given the words through the Holy Spirit. Every single word of it. And for those of you who aren't uh, familiar with the, we, a lot of us, we talk about the Hebrew and the Greek. The Aramaic is just Daniel, the book of Daniel and Ezra were written in Aramaic. And we believe that every single word was exactly what God wanted. I like to think about when God created the heavens and the earth. And throughout the creation story, he takes these moments to pause and evaluate his creation. And after each segment of time, he sits back and he goes, this is good. And, and I believe this to be true, that God, when he gave us his word, his written word, he endorses it with a scripture like 2 Timothy 3, saying, I, I breathe life into this. This is my word for you in writing. Now, this is what I describe as a closed fist belief statement that I have. Here we read a declaration in 2 Timothy 3 that all scripture is breathed out by God, that is inspired. This is something that I, I hold to be true and I, I hold on to this tightly. This is something that if we don't believe this, then all of a sudden, so much of these other beliefs that we might have, they get eroded or, or they're a little more fragile than if we really get this, if we believe that God gave us his written word. Now, um, what I have to believe about the translation of the Bible from language to language, because like I said, it was originally given us in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. The English translation we have is a translation. Okay, And then there are a variety of, of biblical translations, different styles and ways that the, the Bible is written. This is something I hold with more of an open hand. I have opinions about good Bible translations and poor Bible translations. I have opinions, but this is something I hold with more of an open hand. This is something I am still learning about. I'm, I'm still forming opinions about. So you'll probably never hear me give a sincere endorsement of one translation over others. Uh, and similarly, we probably will not be the host to, the, the church to host a Bible burning of translations that we don't see as, as healthy. We're probably not going to be that, that church. Now, I've, had, I've been asked, uh, especially Saturday nights, I get asked sometimes, how do I choose a translation? Now, uh, you may have learned over time that I generally, when we put scripture up here, I generally read from and, and teach from the ESV. And the main reason for that, that's the one I'm studying in the most. So it's, it's, my, it's my choice. But there are reasons behind this, this choosing. I, I've done some, some research. And here's the thing about research, too, is uh, we can find an article online that tells us that, uh, that this version is good, this version is good, and, and that's fine. Uh, one of the things we need to get good about doing, too, is starting to learn about reliable resources. This is the teacher and me coming out. Okay, uh, When I was a teacher in a grade 5 class, I learned that grade 5 students can publish to the internet. And so their opinions, their often strongly worded opinions, can become like canon online. And people can say, oh, it's on the internet. It must be true. And it's a 10-year-old kid who's... Right? So we need to learn how to discern what is a reliable resource. And so even your resources need to be researched. But to be honest, I found that the ESV, um, by, by looking at what people are saying about the ESV, by looking at criticisms against the ESV, I, I kind of settled on the ESV as a translation. That's the simplest version of why I've, I generally use the ESV. But again, this is something I hold with an open hand. This is something that I'm not going to beat you over the head with and tell you that if you've got something, if you're packing an NIV, just there's the door. Okay, I will not do that, and nobody in this room should be doing that either. 
In fact, sometimes I get schooled that I'll, I'll even use the message. Uh, and for those of you who aren't familiar, the message is a, it, it's, it's like a paraphrase. It's, it's like a retelling of the Bible. And it does a really good job of capturing, capturing the narrative, the storyline to the Bible. But I would never use the message to study word for word. That's not what it's intended for, right? And so even sometimes, especially in uh, SNL, if I want to get the storyline across clearly, I'll, I'll use that. Okay, like, like I said, I do have opinions, but for now, that's what they are. They're my opinions. And the pulpit isn't necessarily the place for working theories and premature convictions about things. So let's take a moment to look at a common question where the Bible is concerned. This is how I've kind of formatted today. We've got three questions that we're going to look at. The first is this. With all of the ancient texts to choose from, how do we know that these 66 books are God's choice for canon? And canon is a word uh, that means cane or measuring rod. And uh, the Christian tran uh, tradition has kind of borrowed this to, to mean the norm or the rule of faith. Now, Old Testament canon, uh, again, I'm going to talk in some really general and simple terms to get kind of bring us through this entire sermon. Uh, but Old Testament canon is, is essentially affirmed by Jesus. So I, I don't know if you remember um, historically, but there was about 400 years of silence. The Bible was not being written for about 400 years before Jesus was born to this earth. So there was this this pause, this, this break in, in creating the Bible. And that's, that's defined as the Old Testament. And, and over those 400 years, and even earlier than that, Scripture was being taught by the religious leaders of the day. They would, they would point to Old Testament Scripture and teach people the way to be right with God. Okay? And then Jesus came. And Jesus often quoted from Scripture. But even more noticeably... He did not call out any of that scripture as heretical. So imagine if Isaiah was a false prophet. There is no way Jesus would have lived his 30 plus years on this earth and not called out the prophet Isaiah as a false prophet. So really, by not identifying any of these sections of scripture as false or heretical, there's this implied endorsement. And so I think it's, well, I know that we have a lot of confidence in the Old Testament canon simply by, by virtue of the fact that Jesus quoted from it but did not speak against it. So we've got that. We've got that comfort zone. All right? Uh, now, when it comes to ancient texts around the OT canon, the Roman Catholic Church, many of you know, they've got these deuteronom De how do I say this? Deuterocanonical. Deuterocanonical or second canon books. So some additional books, and then the Orthodox Church has a few more, and we call these all together. We call that the Apocrypha. Now, these are not recognized uh, in the Christian Church as canon, but they are very helpful for culture and context, and so that we can, we can actually measure what's happening in the biblical text with these extra-biblical texts, and they give us more information. In fact, there's a story I like to tell. There's a fellow named Celsus who hated Jesus and hated the Christ followers. Like, his life's work was to detail, almost like follow the life of Jesus as though he was living scandalously and he would give his own spin as to how Jesus was doing these miraculous works. How he rose from the dead. And he was trying to undercut the way. But in doing so, he provides us with this extra biblical text that we can now use to affirm that these things actually did happen. Celsus doesn't like it. He, he thinks it happened for different reasons and in different ways. But it actually strengthens the, the girth of canon. So it's not as simple, but it has been the New Testament canon has been subject to rigorous scrutiny. In the end, each of these 27 books, including what we call the New Testament, has passed these four tests that, um, that I found in some website. I think I've given credit at the bottom here. Here are four tests. First of all, was the author an apostle, or did he have a close connection 
to an apostle. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the terminology apostle, Acts 1, 21, 22, it gives guidance to what it means to be an apostle. They said that they should have been either a member of that original band of disciples, uh, not necessarily one of the original 12, because we know that Matthias was uh, later affirmed as an apostle, as, a, as an apostle. Um, but he, they were there from the beginning. And also that they were an eyewitness to Christ's resurrection. These are what makes up an apostle. But anyways, going on, number two. Is the book being accepted by the body of Christ at large? If somewhere this March, uh, a new denomination arose and they found this sacred text that they have declared now, this is this was always meant, this is supposed to be the 67th book of the Bible, the book of Bob, and we identify this as canon, and it starts to uh, kind of gain traction in their denomination, but it's not held or accepted by the body of Christ at large. That's a, that's a warning sign right there. Does the book contain consistency of doctrine and orthodox teaching? Okay, one of the ways we know that these 27 books of the New Testament are biblical is they line up with the, t there's a consistency in what is being taught. And then finally, does the book bear evidence of high moral and spiritual values that would reflect the work of the Holy Spirit? I am telling you that we can trust the process here. Um, the Bible has undergone more scrutiny by more specialized investigators than any text in history. And it's not even close. Um, for a trustworthy, we've got a lot of scholars in the room. I just learned the other day how many degrees Steve McMillan has. He's not just a pretty face behind the drums. He's a brilliant man. But for an article to be published, it often goes through the process of peer review. And many of you are familiar with this. And essentially, again, in a nutshell, what this is, is this is a, would be a group of specialists in that area. Brilliant, well-thought-of, well-regarded people gathering around this article and picking it apart and review, offering their opinions, their edits, their correction to the article. So for an article to make it into a peer-reviewed, uh, to have peer-reviewed status, it has gone through real depth of scrutiny. Well, that's just for an article on how your knee works or something like that. The Bible has gone through this rigorous process over and over. Literally hundreds of entire post-secondary institutes are devoted to studying these scriptures. Uh, this is all to say that we can demonstrate a wee bit of trust in this process here. We don't need, uh, oh, this, I like this, I, I like this, what I said here in my notes. Um, we, <laughs> I should probably read it. Uh, we don't need to talk to too many people to learn that people have pretty strong opinions about everything. Am I right? Uh, that, yeah, I, I heard that, amen. Um, now, these 66 books of the Christian Bible are, are not really debated that regularly. In my algorithm, I get a lot of, um, I think I must be really in the middle politically, because I get these extremes on either side of people saying the weirdest things politically. And everybody's got an opinion on, on one side or the other or on, on both sides. I don't know. They've got these different opinions. But it's my algorithm is not full of people debating whether or not the gospel of Mark should be excluded from the Bible. There just isn't that kind of banter. There isn't that kind of uh, tension, which is incredible when you look at how rigorously scrutinized the Bible is. We value God's written word for us. All right. We also value God's ability to speak to us today. So I've kind of broken up. This is a Davidism. I don't even know how I feel about this. But I've kind of broken up the next two points as God's spoken word. So the fact that God speaks to us today. And then the third one, I'll tip you off, is, is God speaking through people prophetically. So God giving them a word to give to you or to others. And really, it's, it's kind of one and the same. I've just kind of broken them up a little bit here. In short, we believe that God can and does speak to us today through his Holy Spirit. Uh, let's read a passage from Hebrews 3. It goes like this. Verse 12 says, Take care, brothers, 
lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. I, I, I have heard his voice. So this is one of those things where I can speak with confidence through my own personal testimony. It, and if I'm fully honest, my testimony is not just of hearing his voice, but in, in the story I'm going to tell you, I not only heard, but I hardened my heart and I ignored his voice. I actually just shared this, I think, at Alpha, uh, maybe this week or the week before. It's a story of when I was in my grade 12 year at, uh, at summer camp, uh, on Thetis Island, and I had an amazing cabin. I was in there with all my buddies. Tom Brown, many of you guys know Tom Brown, uh, was my camp counselor, so he's a really cool guy, and we were having a great year. And so it was nighttime. We were all settling in, and uh, and all of a sudden, we were probably talking about girls and sports and whatever, right? And all of a sudden, I had this clear as anything vision. I'm wide awake, but I had this vision of from the perspective of outside of our cabin looking back at our cabin and we have these big picture windows i don't know if you remember the cabins that we were up on the hill in thetis island and they had these big picture windows and i was in the top bunk right by the picture window but the vision i had was from the outside looking towards that picture window and crouched just under the window uh, the best way i could describe what this creature looked like is he looked like song the hedgehog so and and he was kind of crouched under my picture, uh, under my, under the window where I was in bed. And, and I had this unsettled feeling and a voice as clear as day told me that I was to pray against and rebuke this creature, but specifically sp speak this out loud, rebuke it out loud. And I'm like, not doing that. Uh, I'm, I'm here with my grade 12 buddies. I'm not going to start preaching against demons or whatever it is outside my picture window. And so I, I literally hardened my heart and ignored the voice. The next morning, uh, actually, Rob Buzza was the uh, the leader of the camp that year. Um, and and we learned more about what had happened. That night at camp, um, there was this demonic manifestation, a really uh, powerful spiritual moment, and I won't get into all the details of that, but something was happening at the moment when when this when this happened and I had this vision and I put two and two together and realized I was called to to enter in and pray against what was happening and I hardened my heart and I ignored it and so the story isn't what a dork I am the story is that God does I know because it happened to me he audibly it hasn't happened a lot in my life but I have an example of when I know that I heard his voice but to be honest, there are some people who love Jesus and yet believe that he doesn't speak to his children any longer. Okay, Here's another question to ponder. Let's look at this here. Does God really speak, excuse me, does God really still speak to people today? Or is this something that only happened in quote-unquote biblical times? So let's talk cessationism. All right? You are a cessationist. What's that old... Um, comedian you, you might be a cessationist if thank you i'm glad somebody knows i, I thought i was just going to have crickets and be done with it okay uh so you know you're a cessationist if now here we go um if you believe that god stopped interacting with his people after like the the biblical age this would mean that he doesn't do miracles any longer including speaking to his children now i'm gonna show you three common objections to cessationism, specifically about how it pertains to God speaking to us today. And this isn't, it isn't an exclusive list, but there are three things that help me. First, when we read God's word, clearly the Bible does not forbid prophecy. If, if God's word was meant to equip us for the age to come, and, and, and God knew he was never going to speak to us again, how would he not give us really strong objections to prophecy? Because when we prophesy in, in 2024, we're saying that God is speaking to us and we have a word 
for through God or through us from God for others. And he, he doesn't forbid, the Bible does not forbid prophecy. Second of all, uh, the warning against false prophets, which there are many, assumes that there are actual prophets, that there will be people who God will speak through. And then third, cessationism limits God's sovereignty. And, and to, in my opinion, that's actually a bit of a weaker point because it, it kind of assumes that a cessationist believes that God can't speak anymore. Um, but that might not be true. Maybe that they believe that he chooses not to speak, but uh, that seems weird to me as well. In these objections to cessationism, you see the word prophecy. And so this takes us to a small transition into the next and final point. So this is what we believe. We believe that God shares his word through others, even today. Uh, there are some examples of... No, I'm not going to say that. Um, I think it's safe to say that God speaks through people more, even more often than he speaks exclusively to people. He, he gives us a word. And you know what? Actually, I don't know if he's here today, but last night um, Bobby uh, gave... Uh, some of his clippers, his his hair clippers, to one of the guys at the house. Yeah, I don't. I, oh, you are here. There you go. I didn't recognize you were in a hat last night. <laughs> and I, well, I was talking to you about blessing last night and how it's a picture of what God does when He gives us something. When God blesses us, it's rarely just for us to sit there. Oh, and I'm, I'm going to enjoy this blessing. He generally blesses us to be a blessing. And just as Bobby blessed you. Not just that you could have these clippers, but that you could do a good job of cutting the guy's hair at the house. So I, I love that. Um, but when it comes to God's word, he generally speaks through people. He'll give somebody a word to share. And that's his prophetic word. Prophecy has been defined as a miracle of knowledge, a declaration or description or representation of something future beyond the power of human strength. Or the word is sagacity, but I don't know if you say sagacity or sagacity, Mark. Uh, okay, I feel better actually. Either or, okay, there you go. So beyond our human capacity, which rhymes, man, I'm good, uh, to foresee, discern, or conjecture is the word they use here. So not surprisingly, the Bible has something to say about prophecy. And we can read it in 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 1, it says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. So for those of you who are part of our, our fall series on the spiritual gifts, it's going to mean something to you that the gift of prophecy is elevated to something we should earnestly desire. So reading this entire passage, it's pretty apparent that God wants to build up encourage, and console his people through prophecy. So let's look at a common question where, where prophecy is concerned. How can we know the difference between prophecy and our own ideas? And first, let me tell you right now, this is an important question to ask. It's important for us to have a, a reverence, almost a fear around the area of prophecy. Well, let, I'm going to elaborate on that in just a second. But it, this is something weighty. If we can't tell the difference between God's voice and the effects of overeating pizza, we can do and say some pretty dangerous stuff. So here's a bit of a tangent. I feel this responsibility to point out just how dangerous it is to, dangerous it is to declare, thus saith the Lord if it isn't actually God's prophetic word. When we assign God's authority to an idea that is just ours, that's very dangerous. And the, here's a pet peeve of mine. 
Um, uh, this is going to sound really stupid, but uh, I wrote it down, so I have to read it. Uh, if Carolee needs to shoot somebody a, a text, but her phone isn't available, and my phone's right there, it's like, okay, fine, use my phone and, and text. But I'm very particular. Make sure that you tell people this is you talking and it's not me. Because it's going to show up in their text as a text from David. Now, I love my wife. I trust my wife, and she's smarter than I am. But I don't like the feeling of her saying things in my name. That's, again, a dumb thing. But now imagine a perfect God having human words put in his mouth. But then imagine us leveraging the authority of God's word by declaring that he was the one who said it. This is dangerous territory. And I think sometimes, and, and honestly, church, in, in, this, in our congregation, there have been times where people throw out the idea that God told me to do this, or God gave me this to do, or, or, and, and we assign God's motivation and authority to some of these actions. And to be honest, some of them I, I can discern pretty quickly, and I'm not that bright. I can discern pretty quickly, A, these aren't God's ideas. They're not even good ideas, right? And, and so this is, this is dangerous territory when we start to assign the authority of God on ideas that aren't his. That it's, it's false prophecy is what it is. Um, so how can we know the difference between prophecy and our own ideas, or even prophecy and somebody else's ideas. Let's read together in verse in 1 Corinthians 14. This is a little bit further down from what we were reading before. In verse 29, it says, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. It's okay, it's wise even, not to pounce on every word that is said in God's name. Let me extend this to the pulpit whether it be the pulpit at Northridge Church or the pulpit anywhere on the planet. Um, I believe, and if this sounds arrogant, you're missing the point. I believe that every week, God gives me something to say to you. Not because I'm special. If you know me, you know that's true. It's not because I'm special. It's because he chooses to work through the local church and, 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 and speak to his people that way. So I believe that God gives preachers a word to share. So, if they're saying stuff that does not line up with God's written word, that's dangerous. And so this idea of weighing what is said can extend to the pulpit. It can extend to casual conversations. Sometimes you'll get advice from somebody, and they seem like somebody who you might want to respect, but it, it might discern it's a little bit off. And so take it back and compare it with, with God's word. Another scripture says, this is First Thessalonians 5, it says in verse 19, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. We are not meant to hold people back from operating in the prophetic. In fact, as a church, I think there needs to be more of a releasing in the prophetic gifts rather than we don't want to quench we don't want to make unfashionable the sharing of a, of a prophetic word having said that we are still meant to test a prophetic word don't just take somebody who lays hands on you and prophesies over you and then run with that and live the life according to that as law we're meant to test it we need to measure it against what is good and what is good is God's word in fact I came across this quick list of questions you can ask yourself when testing a prophetic word. Again, this is a um, this is just this is not an exclusive list of nine questions. But uh, quickly, does it edify? Does it agree with Scripture? Does it glorify Jesus? Does it bear good fruit? Did it come true? Does it encourage obedience to God? Does it bring a sense of freedom, peace, and confidence? Does it bring fresh life? And does your spirit? bear witness. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up again. I'll just wrap up with this. Um, I, I don't know how many of you know this, but our, our founding father is not a father, it's a mother. Uh, Amy Semple McPherson is the, 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 the originator of the Foursquare movement. And the Foursquare gospel is very Christocentric. 
Christ is at the center of the Foursquare Gospel. And as such, she adopted this theme verse for the Foursquare Movement that we hold to today. It's Hebrews 13.8 that says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we believe that God can and does speak to us today. And having said that, he's not going to change his mind about what he's already written in the Bible. What you need to understand, or we need to understand, about God is, is he is coming to us, or he exists in this perspective of eternity. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He has seen the beginning from the end. He is not in heaven on his rocking chair with a calendar that says February 11th, November, uh, November 2024. February 11th, I don't know, November, February 11th, 2024. That's, that's not, he exists outside of time, able to see all of time. Okay? This is his omnipresence, uh, his omniscience, his, his sovereign rule is not bound by chronology. And so he is not waking up this morning, February 11th, and learning something new and saying, oh, if only I would have thought of that when we were writing the book of Luke. Okay? He's not learning new stuff. And so when he speaks to us today, he's not going to bring us something that is totally detached and new that is his, necessarily his word. He brings stuff that is fresh, but it will always agree with his written word. Does that make sense? Okay, so as such, when God speaks to us directly or speaks to us through a prophetic word from another, it will never contradict what he's given to us in his written word. This is one of the many reasons for our high value of God's word for us. All right, let's stand, let's respond and worship, and then I got one more short word for you at the end. Amen. He is worthy. Um, have a quick seat. Uh, I was, I had scripted this. I was kind of standing there worshiping with you and uh, had had a voice. Saying, okay. Because, actually, excuse me, order of operations. The first thing I was thinking is, you know what? I want to create an opportunity where if somebody has a prophetic word, I want to give them the microphone. I want people to feel free to share their prophetic word. Then I heard, that's when I heard the voice. Okay, if somebody comes up, taps you on the shoulder and says that they've got a word before you get up there, then you give the microphone. So I'm not giving the microphone to any of you. But I want to tell you this. Uh, uh, this, is, this is a big but. This is important. I want to tell you this. You might be sitting on a prophetic word. And even though you don't get the microphone today, don't sit on that prophetic word. Okay, take a chance. It's okay to say, listen, I think God is saying this to you or to me, to us. And then encourage them. Go and test it. Take this word and go and test it against what we know to be true. So when I say take a chance in the prophetic, we still have this fear and reverence that we don't want to be the one to say, I really think you should stop being a 49ers fan. I think God is telling you this. We don't want to do that. Okay, we don't want to put words in God's mouth. It's dangerous, dangerous business. But you'll know. And, and one of the, like we said in the, in the definition of the word I didn't know how to say, if it's something that you know that wasn't, you're not smart enough to come up with this word. Or you don't have enough insight into this person's life to speak confidently or with authority on this matter. If you know these are things that aren't coming from your own mind, then that should be the tap, 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 tap. This isn't a, a David Buzza thing. This is a God thing. Okay? And so today, even, even as we're kind of mingling and, and maybe leaving, be bold. If you've got a word for somebody, uh, maybe even in the car ride on the way home, you say to your wife or your husband or your buddy, like, you know, I think God said this to me, and I don't know what to do with it. And then commit to praying together and seeking his, his written word to see if that's something that is, is a true word. But church, I, I want us to grow in this area. I want us to eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. All right? 
Let me finish with this blessing from Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8. It says, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. And actually, this reminded me of an, another word that I, I didn't have written in my notes, but I think is important. This idea of having deep roots. Um, we're, we're reading through, and many of us are involved in this, we're reading through the Bible in a year, we're reading through it chronologically, we're reading through it together. Here's why we read God's Word regularly. As you read His Word, you start to learn to understand, or you, you start to establish the tone of His voice. You start to learn what God sounds like. So when you hear somebody prophesy that you should become left-handed instead of right-handed, you'd be like, I don't know. That, that just doesn't sound like God. And it, it becomes something very worth testing. But the more we immerse, the more we gather like this, the more that we gather under His Word, read His Word for ourselves, the more that we associate and rub shoulders with people who we know have walked with God and have this history of faith, the more we are going to learn the sound of His voice. And we're going to have more confidence to know when it's God who's telling us to prophesy, to share a word. Does that make sense? So when we talk about these deep roots, it's what are your roots going deep into? Because your roots are going to grow either way. Maybe healthy or unhealthy. They could be growing into some really gross stuff. We could be feeding on some really gross stuff. And our fruit will, will bear witness to that. But when our roots run deep and are sunk into our Father, the King of Kings, and His Word for us, it'll bear good fruit. All right. That's my blessing from the Word of, well, from Jeremiah, and uh, the thing that I want you to walk out with today. Church, be blessed. Be a blessing to each other. And be bold in sharing His Word. All right. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us for our main service. If you want to learn more about Northridge Church, or if you just want to talk to someone about what you've heard on this podcast, please email us at info at nrchurch.ca. We'd love to get to know you better. Until then, be safe and be blessed.